and welcome to episode 57 of the Mutant Blitz Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hennig. On this edition of the podcast, we'll get into the latest news with the television CW shows, Supergirl and The Flash, along with what it means for the future of the CW superhero shows. Plus, we'll get into some very interesting news that came out about Hulu and what its impact is, is going to be on the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So let's open up a cold one and get started on episode 57 of the Mutant Bliss Podcast. Topic number one here on episode 57 of the Mutant Bliss Podcast. I did want to touch on two specific things with the CW on this edition of the podcast. First, starting with some of the news that came out about the future of The Flash. So, Season 7 has already been confirmed for The Flash. Not surprising. It's the number one rated show on the CW, and it's been that way for a few years now. So it's not surprising the CW is going to keep The Flash around. What is interesting is there are two specific news stories that came out recently about The Flash that do throw some things in the question. One being that Brandon McKnight's character, Chester, has been promoted to a season regular for Season 7. Now, I question what that impact is going to be on the rest of the cast. See, a lot of times with the CW shows, when they promote one person to season regular, another person gets pulled back. Like, for example, in Supergirl, when Windshot was coming off the show, Brainy got a bigger role on Supergirl. We've seen the same thing on other shows on the CW as well. They typically keep a specific number of cast members as regulars versus a specific number of cast members who are more of supporting roles, part-time roles. So I do question what does this mean for other characters' futures? I'm not saying anyone's person going to lose their job and maybe somebody gets a bit of a diminished role if Chester is going to have a more regular role on the team. The other issue that came up with this news that came out is what does that mean for the rest of the CW universe? Because we know that Flash has the best ratings and it was easily, easily a renewable show. It's also on average at minimum between 200 and 600,000 more viewers per episode than any other show on the CW week in and week out. So, we know The Flash is consistently this juggernaut of a show. But did you know that the contracts of all of the main actors on the show are for seven seasons? That's right. According to Digital Spy, they quote from Grant Gustin says, We're all contracted right now through seven seasons. We're currently in the sixth season, so it's definitely in the back of my mind. The next year even could potentially be the last season. Who knows? Unquote. It's a very important thing to bring up because with the arrow going away and the CW overall taking a bit of a turn now in a world without Stephen Amell's Oliver Queen as one of the faces of the network and of the programming, we've seen mixed results from the rest of the shows. And The Flash has been the most consistent the one show you could rely on when it comes to viewership, not just for the live show, but for DVR playback, as well as digital streaming. It has consistently been 
in around 2 million almost every episode when you combined live viewership, digital viewership, DVR playback, etc. The show is the only show on the network that has consistently had that viewership. So the question is, if they're committed through seven seasons and the cast doesn't know anything beyond the seventh season, is that really a sign of things to come? Or is it not? I'm going to go with the belief that the CW has plans to keep the Flash going for as long as possible. Everything you read online is that the people who are on the Flash show, whether it's the actors, the production staff, the writers, everyone is pretty happy with what they have going on. And the Flash is the one of the few shows on the CW that has not seen precipitous drops in viewership from season to season. There has been a small margin of error when it comes to viewership drop, mostly because of the fact that People are cutting the cord unless people are watching live television on cable and Dish Network than they are on digital platforms and streaming. So you always have to factor that into the conversation. The 18 to 49 demo, which is technically the number one demo for a show like The Flash, has consistently stayed high, even though overall the show has dipped in viewership, like I said. But again... If you're going based on only linear television, yes, everybody is losing viewership. That's that's a no-brainer. The only thing that's not losing viewership consistently is football and television. Everything else is losing viewership on some level on linear television. But excluding that, as we've discussed here on the Mutant Bliss podcast, the Flash being the flag bearer now of the network superhero shows, The success of all the other shows is going to be directly linked now to The Flash. See, previously, while the Arrow was the godfather of the Arrowverse, The Flash now is the only one who has previously been here for a while before shows like Batwoman, Supergirl, DC Legends of Tomorrow, and Black Lightning. So I think that it's fair to say that, yes, they are all under contract for seven seasons, But I think it's, barring some catastrophic situation, The Flash will be back for an eighth season at minimum. Considering, again, one, they have the most viewers of any, any of the CW shows by a mile. The number of viewers they have per episode, per week, just outpaces every other show on the network extensively. Number two, when you factor in the digital and streaming numbers, you realize the Flash fan base is actually one of the strongest out there outside of the Arrow television show. And because the Flash and the Arrow before all these other shows, there is a longer history of viewers invested. Now, the real success of the Flash's future is going to come down to the stories because if you're promoting a character like Chester P. Runk to the Flash, uh, a a meta with some interesting powers and a meta who is kind of a tech guy. And if you're maybe going to demote another character, what does that mean for Cisco Ramon's character? What does that mean for Daniel Panabaker's dual character, Frost and Caitlin Snow? What does that mean for these other characters? Also, we know that Kid Flash is coming back, Wally West, in an upcoming episode. We're seeing flashes where... The current Wells is seeing a previous Wells almost like a ghost 
in his mind or at least in some sort of reality flashback. What does that mean for the next season? I think that whoever the next villain is for Flash next season is going to tell us a lot about the future of the show beyond season seven. Because in order for these shows to keep working, what has made The Flash so successful is the chemistry the characters have on the show is a complete fluid dynamic. And number two, the protagonist versus antagonist elements of the show make it very fun. It makes it interesting. It gives you a nice balance between serious and fun without being too much one or the other. Something that the other CW shows have not always mastered at balancing. So I'm going to assume that The Flash is going to be around beyond Season 7, even though they're only under contract through seven seasons. But I think that the CW is going to invest in Grant Gustin because they realize that he is now the new Stephen Amell. With Stephen Amell taking a step aside, with Yarrow being done, he is the guy moving forward. And because he is the guy moving forward, I think they understand that in order to continue to build upon what they've done, they need the flag bearer. It's similar to how you look at Avengers Endgame. Yes, Tony Stark is gone. Yes, Captain America is gone. Steve Rogers. But Nick Fury is still around. The Hulk is still around. Bucky Barnes is still around. There are characters who were there from the beginning who are still around, not because they have to be, but because there are story arc elements that impact the rest of their universe that are important. So characters like Grant Gustin's character, like Daniel Panabaker's character, these characters are essential to the future of the CW DC Universe. So that's there are some reasons why I think we're going to see it, despite the fact there are some people who believe the season seven could be the final. But again, look, I'm not telling you I have all the answers, but as you've heard here on the podcast, I've been right about a lot of these things, and I think that we will see at least eight seasons of The Flash. Topic number two here on the Mutant Bliss podcast. I mentioned I'm going to hit on two CW stories today. Well, the story, the news came out just this week that Melissa Benoist is going to have a baby. Yes, congratulations to the actress who plays Supergirl, also known as Kara Zorel, also known as Kara Danvers. She is going to have her first child, her and her husband, Chris Wood, announced on Instagram. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this story up is because Supergirl has been a show that I have been critical over the last couple of years. I'm not going to get into everything I've criticized them about. You can go back and listen to the previous episodes if you want to hear all the details. But it's a very interesting situation this show is in because they have been renewed for the next season. This is before the news of Melissa being pregnant came out. Not that them renewing the show or doing the show is contingent on her pregnancy, but it's an, it's an interesting element in terms of the show's future because even when other elements of the show have been failing around Melissa, Melissa has been the one constant of that show. She is the only thing that has consistently been top tier through every season of the show. Despite the shortcomings of the writing, despite some of the shortcomings of the storyline, despite the shortcomings of the other actors and actresses on the show as well, Melissa has been the one constant that has held it all together. And frankly, as a viewer, I don't know if I would have kept watching the show if Melissa wasn't so good. Her portrayal of Supergirl has been excellent. 
And her performances in the crossovers has also elevated her reputation because of the fact that she is an actress who just takes control of the screen. She's not weak on screen. She's strong and she commands your attention. Before last season's appearance of John Cryer as Lex Luthor, the show had been a precipitous fall for numerous years. Remember, when Supergirl first debuted on CBS, it actually had very strong ratings, all things considered. Since then, every season, Supergirl has seen a dip. In fact, every opening season of the show, so starting with season two from CBS to the CW, Supergirl has seen a drop in viewership. From season one to season two, it was a 65% drop from the debut season. The next season, it was a 51% drop. The next season after that, Supergirl saw a 14.5% drop. And then this season, it saw a 17% drop. So while the dropping has you know slowed down, we can't overlook the fact that if it wasn't for the infusion of John Cryer into the show, which actually allowed the show to see a 43% increase in viewership from previous episodes that season, we realize that Supergirl might not still be on television. In fact, at its low point, Supergirl was barely cracking the million viewership mark for certain episodes before John Cryer came along. And as we discussed, the bizarro scheduling of the CW shows on the CW spacing out episodes and having one week or two weeks in between episodes has not helped the show either because of the erratic scheduling and the staggered, frankly, the staggered garbage they do with the scheduling is just not healthy they develop a momentum and consistency for any program, not just a superhero television show. So this season, we've seen Supergirl get a little bit of a bump because of the crossover episodes. And in the episodes leading up to the crossover, you did see a precipitous build build up until that moment. Well, since the break, Supergirl has not seen the greatest viewership numbers. Now, we should also add there was a gap between episode 11 and episode 12. It didn't destroy the show, but we did see a loss of about 200,000 viewers. So the show right now is hanging around between 700,000 and a million viewers per episode, depending on how you want to combine the numbers. Again, we're talking about linear television, digital streaming, DVR playback, etc. Without Melissa on the show, this show has no future. And the reason why it's been renewed for a sixth season is because of her. So with her and having a pregnancy, it'll be interesting to see how the CW handles this situation. First of all, this is your star. This is the reason why you have this show even on the air is because of her. And forever amount of time she cannot be shooting and being on the camera for whatever reason, whether it's because you know, she's needs to take a time off, whether they need to change how they shoot her, whatever the situation may be, there's going to be something different about the next season. And I'm very curious to see how they handle that because one of the things we have not seen very often when it comes to television is when a actress is the lead instead of a male, how the networks handle that, how the writers handle it, how the directors handle it. And for a superhero show where, let's be realistic, 
whether people want to admit it or not, the aesthetics of the actress are very important to the success of the character. This is not a pointing to because she's a woman. It's because of the fact that whether they're male or female, the aesthetics of the character are extremely important when it comes to the success of a character. Being a great actor or actress is just as important as being aesthetically pleasing and aesthetically fitting the role that you're playing. So for Melissa, pregnancy is not always going to be easy. She's, you know, and I'm not speaking from personal experience. I don't have any kids, and but I have a lot of friends who have kids, and I've seen what they went through, and I know that a lot of the women who I've known over the years who have had children, they've had their good and bad days. And some of them were able to work until eight months pregnant. Some of them had to stop at six months. There are different ranges of time that these women can work. So how does the CW handle this? If she's announcing her pregnancy now, do you push back filming and push back Supergirl until maybe a spring release and allow her time off? Or do you push up filming for the next season, get some episodes in there with her, write her out of the script for a while while she goes, has her child, takes all the time she needs with her new child to come back. How does this affect timetables? How does this affect release dates? How does this affect the other actors and actresses who are contracted on the show? Do you have her go away from the show for a while? And do you have her get pregnant on the show? She currently doesn't have a love interest on the show, does Kara Zorrell. But if you gave her one, and you had her get pregnant on the show, does she go away like Superman did when he and Lois had a child? There are so many questions that are going to be have to be answered, and we're going to monitor here on the Mutant Bliss podcast because this is territory we have not seen before. We have seen women be superheroes. We have seen women do excellent jobs as a superheroes, whether, again, as Melissa as Supergirl, whether it's Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, whether it's Scarlett Johansson as... Black Widow, whatever the female character is, what makes that woman great is because she's, she takes control of the screen. She's a great actress. She handles everything. Ownership of the role is a big deal. And when you're saying, look, I'm going to have a child, you're saying my personal life, my family is the priority right now. And it's not just this show. And it's not that she doesn't care about the show. It's not that she's saying, I don't want to do the show anymore. But Listen, having a child is a huge moment in someone's life, and it is the arguably the biggest moment of your life. You know, for many people, it's number one is having a child, and number two is getting married, and everything else falls after that. So if you look at what Melissa is going to do moving forward, how will the show work around her family's needs? How will they work with her? with the show? How will they change around their production, their filming, their writing, their release date? What will they do to accommodate her? That is going to tell a lot about the future of the show. That's going to tell you a lot about the future of the CW with other female star characters. How they handle her is going to dictate what other actresses want to work with the CW moving forward. There are so many variables that are come out of this and it's going to be interesting to monitor because I'm telling you right now, if the CW does not handle this right, it won't just be the end of this show. It'll be the end of the expansion of the CW universe. Because if you don't handle this situation right with an actress 
who has single-handedly carried this show and kept it relevant with an actress who has gone above and beyond to make sure this show is successful while everything around her has not always been 100% above board. If you don't accommodate her correctly, if you don't treat her right, if you don't take care of her and let her and her family have everything they need moving forward, you are going to die. All your success is going to go away. Because there are going to be actors and actresses who will refuse to work with you. They will be frustrated. They'll be unhappy. It will become a poison to the CW and Berlanti and all these people who are involved over there. This is the moment where we find out who these people really are. How much do they value this young woman? And how they treat Melissa with this pregnancy is going to determine the entire future of not just the show, but potentially the CW as well. Topic number three here on the Mutant Blitz podcast. So the story that came out recently is not specifically a story related to Marvel or DC Studios, but it's a story that has a direct impact on the studio. So let's backtrack for just a moment here. Remember, when Disney purchased 21st Century Fox Studios, they also absorbed the 21 regional sports networks that were known as Fox Sports Regional Network enterprise well what happened was according to the government in order for them to not violate any monopoly laws they had to sell off those 21 regional sports networks after the bidding was done Sinclair paid 9.6 billion dollars for those 21 regional sports networks and the importance of regional sports networks on television is that a lot of teams in local markets specifically in baseball basketball and hockey get a huge chunk of their revenue from these television agreements. So, for example, if you live in San Francisco, NBC Sports Bay Area has all of your Warriors and San Francisco Giants games. If you are in Philadelphia, NBC Sports Philadelphia has all of your Phillies, Sixers, and Flyers games. Fox Regional Sports Network is in areas such as Florida, so, for example, the Miami Heat, Orlando Magic, they are in Ohio, which involves the Cleveland Cavaliers, as well as the Columbus Blue Jackets. Oklahoma City Thunder, there is a Fox Regional Sports Network in that part of the country as well. Sinclair has bought all of those networks for $9.6 billion. Well, AT&T has failed to sell their four regional sports networks. Why did they fail to sell their four? Because they tried to sell all four for $1 billion. First of all, why did AT&T think that their four regional sports networks were worth more than Fox Sports' 21? A bit of a bizarre situation. But alright, I can work with it. Maybe you overvalued it. But there's another reason why they weren't able to sell it. Which has a direct impact on the future of Marvel Cinematic Universe as well as the DC Universe with their digital platform. For those who haven't heard, the DC Universe digital platform that DC launched a couple of years ago has not had the success they hoped for. It has struggled to get subscribers. It has struggled with viewership. It has struggled on numerous fronts in order for them to have success. And as a result of those struggles, DC is questioning if they will keep those shows alive, such as Titans, 
Doom Patrol, etc. There's also a question of what that means for Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus has had an extensive success in terms of subscribers or gaining subscribers every month, partially because of the fact of the bundle package, which allows you to purchase ESPN+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, and Hulu for one low rate. Or if you already have Hulu, you get to keep your Hulu membership as is, and you only pay $7 for Disney+, Plus and ESPN+. Plus. It's a really a great deal. I have it. So I can tell you from first hand, it's well worth it. Well, Hulu has been growing over the last two years. Disney owns Hulu. Disney Plus has been growing. ESPN Plus has been growing. So where Marvel and DZ have succeeded, entities like AT&T and DC Universe have struggled, as well as Netflix, who has raised their membership rate in order to compensate for lost subscribers and to keep up with the ever-expanding and stretched-out market. Stretched out because now you have HBO getting their own platform. CBS has all access. Everyone's getting a digital streaming platform. The CW even has one. So if we're seeing that one area of the market is not making money and another area of the market is making money, what does that mean for the future of DC and Marvel? Well, what that means is there have been discussions by Warner Brothers of ending DC Comics. And publishing. That's right. DC Comics is a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. And the importance of that is the Warner Brothers label has had questions about what to do with DC moving forward because DC has consistently lost the comic book wars to Marvel for several years now, despite the fact of them owning the distribution house, despite the fact of them having a huge entity behind them in Warner Brothers, DC has not been able to overcome a lot of issues. And when I remind you, who is the parent company who owns Warner Brothers, that would be Warner Media, which is also owned by AT&T. Full circle here. So if DC Comics and AT&T and Warner Media and Time Warner are all having money issues. How are you going to stay afloat? Do you absorb another entity to make more money? Do you change your strategy? We know that DC movies have already changed their strategy. We know CW has had some success with their shows, but not complete success outside the fact that they had to merge. That C does not stand for Warner Brothers. It stands for CBS. So Viacom, who is the parent company technically of CBS Networks, has an invested interest in the success of the CW as well. So you know they're going to be fine. Disney, on the other hand, has seen exponential growth because of their expansion with Marvel Comics, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Disney+, Plus, Star Wars, despite all the complaints, everybody online made a, a stupid amount of money at the box office or releasing Clone Wars, another final season on Disney+. Plus. You're going to see even greater growth across the board on numerous platforms from Marvel and Disney because of all their affiliations. And now with Hulu and them absorbing 21st Century Fox, they have all of these properties from all of the James Cameron properties, from Avatar to Titanic, etc. They have the market cornered on movies and streaming because they have two major streaming platforms. They have two major 
movie studios, and they have a comic book monster in Marvel. It'll be very interesting to see what happens moving forward, but I can tell you for a fact that the one thing you need to keep an eye on is as people continue cutting the cord, you're going to see more and more content driven to the streaming platforms and away from the traditional network overseers because of the fact that remember what happened to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The one of the foils of Marvel was the struggle they had with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to keep the show afloat because they got away from the original intent of the show. Remember that Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was brought on originally to be the bridge between the movies, to tell the stories behind the scenes before the next super movie. Well, you don't need a show on ABC to do that anymore. You have an expanding television universe on Disney+. And do not forget that because of the failures of Inhumans, because of the struggles of Cloak and Dagger and the miscalculations on Freeform, because the Runaways had a small amount of success, but not as much success as people had hoped for, Disney turned to Jeff Loeb and said, thanks, but we're going to move on without you. We, we got what we needed from you. Thanks for your help. We're going to move on. And there were people apparently at Disney and Marvel who were not happy with how the Netflix agreement went, how ugly the breakup was, and they felt that they needed to consolidate all of their programming onto one space. So they don't want networks and other entities telling them what to do with their content. A big reason why a lot of people are going to Netflix, because there's a lot of creators, a lot of writers and directors, they can make the movie or television show they really want to make without the network oversights or the overlords of these big corporations telling them what's good and bad, they can make whatever they want. And because Disney and Marvel have given these people so much liberty, they're going to be able to put the best product on Disney Plus without somebody at ABC telling them, well, that's not how we do things here. DC slash AT&T slash Warner, Time Warner need to make a decision moving forward what they want to do with their overall properties. You're having some success with the CW television shows. We know that the Wonder Woman movie, as well as Shazam and Aquaman, were very financially successful. We know that DC Comics, for the lack of buyers they've had, whether it's print copies or the digital copies of their comics, these are still extremely popular characters. Their struggles are going to tell us a lot about what they're going to do moving forward because they made some huge gambles on the comic book front and those gambles didn't pay off. They made some huge gambles on the movie front and those gambles didn't play off. Didn't pay off. And now AT&T tried to sell off their four regional sports networks for an exorbitant cash number that no one was going to pay them because the market is telling you that we're moving further and further away from linear television and streaming and digital is becoming more and more of a monster because people don't want to pay these exorbitant prices for cable and satellite television. One of the reasons why there's a lot of talk that Dish Network and DirecTV are going to merge because of the fact that they need each other to survive. One of the issues they've had with Sling TV Subscribers going down because Sling TV doesn't have all the channels, for example, YouTube TV and Hulu Live have. And by the way, YouTube TV owned by a billion dollar monster in Google and Hulu is now owned by a billion dollar monster in Disney. 
They're fine. They don't need anybody's help. But their negotiations have gone a lot better than some of the other people in getting these properties to viewers, and they're more much more cost-effective. Also keep in mind that NBC Universal, which is also under the same umbrella as Comcast slash Xfinity, has had to make some adjustments as well on their front with their programming to the point where Comcast slash Xfinity is talking about offering a cord-cutting feature for people to stream all their cord-cutting on a device with them for a nominal fee each month. So while the rest of the world is adjusting, it'll be interesting to see how AT&T and DC adjust to all the issues. And there's a lot of rumors out there. There's a lot of rumors that possibly they could go to Marvel and ask them to take over the comic distribution and oversight of the comics. There's talk that they could bring in a new executive set of executives to handle the distribution. There's talk that they could try to sell specifically the comic distribution and outsource it to somebody. Remember, technically, Marvel outsourced part of their comics in the late 90s, early 2000s to great success. That's how Joe Quesada became a huge part of the industry that he is today. DC could possibly do the same thing. And whatever they do with the comics is going to have a direct impact on the movies and television shows because even though the comic books and the television even though the movies and the television shows are not directly based on the comics, there is still a connection where you use certain stories in the comics for the movies, for the television shows. For example, The Flash is done numerous times with different characters. For example, Godspeed and Bloodwork are directly characters from the last 15 years. These are not old traditional villains of The Flash. These are much more current versions. So you still use the success and the interest from the comics to place on these shows and movies. Whatever they do moving forward, they have to make better financial decisions, and those decisions are going to have a direct impact on what you get to watch and consume at the movie theater and on your couch at home. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Mutant Blitz Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, I ask you to please hit that subscribe button Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, whatever platform you listen on YouTube, please subscribe, hit the like button, and give us some feedback as well. I appreciate everyone who listens each and every episode here on the Mutant Bliss Podcast. I'm Josh Hennig. Follow me on Twitter at Josh Hennig. Hennig spelled H-E-N-N-I-G. And I'll catch you right here for the next edition of the Mutant Bliss Podcast.